again to Straight Talk, your intermittent podcast of political thought. My name is Scott Wyant, and joining me today, I've got Leticia Sanders. She's in the Democratic primary for the Democratic candidate for governor. Leticia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure. Uh, you are running for governor in the state of Arkansas. Tell me, if you could, why did you decide to run for governor? Well, I've been helping people all around the state, and I was just trying to figure out a way to do more. So I'm very in touch with the Holy Spirit, and when I speak to the Spirit, it speaks back to me. And I ask the Spirit to use me for something and let me know what I need to do. And that was last year, well, 2016. And so that is the thought that was given to me, is for me to run for governor. And at the time, I thought it started last year. So that's why I actually started last year as far as seeking out to the Democratic Party and trying to get signatures for, the, for me to be able to be on the ballot. All right. Good so day. when I spoke to the Democratic Party, which was Dylan, and made him aware of what I wanted to do, he also informed me that I was the only one at the time and that I was ahead of the game and that I needed 10,000 signatures um, to waive the filing fee. So I was set out on my journey last year seeking signatures. And although I didn't go to the community asking for volunteers, I was doing it on my own. And that was one of the things they would say, well, you're not supposed to be getting signature yourself. And I thought that that was unique that I was out there making myself available so that people can address any questions they may have had of me and so they can see me face on without seeing me on the news, a person who was trying to run for governor. So I thought that that would help my campaign by being out there speaking to the people and trying to gain their support. Did did you get a good response that way? I did, but it was only in the Pulaski County that I really done well in. And I know I didn't go across the state seeking signatures because at the time it was kind of hard working in, going to school, um, currently in grad school, uh, seeking my second master's in management and leadership. So it was, it was kind of hard. It was challenging, but I was still trying to accomplish the mission. Well, it sounds like you, you've shown a level of commitment that it, it's hard enough going to school, let alone trying to run for office. So tell me, what, what do you think are the number one issues in your campaign? It's the health care. My theory of it is to try to decrease the health issues so that we can seek better health care plans. People study talking about we need to make sure everybody have a health care plan, and that's true. But it's a lot of people that it's not secretly that really need to be paying for a health care plan. And I was thinking of ways to where we can alleviate the health issues so that we can find a health care plan that would be feasible. Because it's outrageous how they want people to pay this amount of money that don't even seek the doctor on a regular basis. So that was something that we should consider of how the health care plan is designed so that we won't be having people just spending unnecessary money. Kind of like the your, your insurance. You know, you, you spend all this money and you don't really utilize it. And it's nice to have, 
but it should be ways to where you don't have to spend so much too, you know. Now, I know we do have a lot of uh, sickly people, and those sickly people shouldn't pay as much as they do knowing that knowing the health, and it's just outrageous to be saying that you're trying to help sick people, but actually charging them so much money for their medication. I, I don't see where they are actually trying to help the people. Well, you know, that that's the way insurance works. You get a, a whole group of people, and the, the healthy people who aren't utilizing the system help pay for the people who utilize the system more. So it kind of evens out in the end. Some of the sick people pay more than the people that's not sick. And that That's true. I find that to be strange. That That's true. I, I do believe that there there's definite work to be done in that area. What other issues are you thinking about as you run for governor? Uh, is decriminalizing the cannabis, which could lower our crime rate, which will help us on the mass incarceration and also giving people second chances. Focus on the wrong things. And uh, locking nonviolent offenders up is nothing that we should be doing because we need to be analyzing the circumstances that comes into people's lives that makes them come out of their character which have them doing things that they wouldn't normally do. And in today's time, people is normally naming it as behavior, and it's not behavior because everybody is not doing this on a regular basis. So it's circumstances that come into people's lives that challenge them, and whether they're doing something wrong or whether they're doing something right. But most of the time, it's in the eye of them doing something wrong. And it could be minor, but we don't pay attention to our pedophiles like we should. Uh, they'll get out and nobody is aware that they're in their neighborhood and they're allowed to uh, react their crime with a different victim. And I feel that pedophiles should never be the day of life. I'm totally against uh, the death penalty because then we're playing, we're playing God. And I feel that when the judge sentences someone to death, they just as guilty as the person who did the crime. And so they should be incarcerated, but they should never be let out because we're not evaluating their mind frame. And, yes, it don't take much for you to sit there and try to convince a person that you changed, but you actually have not. And the reason why you say you changed is because you've been confined. So, of course, you change. You have no, you have no way to do anything to nobody. But once you set free... It's like when you say free, that mind frame is triggered back. So that's something that we should take in consideration, that they should not be allowed back into the, back out in the free world. We should keep them detained and look at helping our nonviolent offenders and actually seeing what other avenue we can do to help them so they don't have to repeat the same mistake again. Because we all have done something wrong, whether it, it has come into the light or it's been covered up. Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, and I want legalize the marijuana 21 and older because that is a, uh, a way for us to generate more money so that we can use them funds for the state, which will help the people on the imposed taxes that we are forced to, to pay. Second, uh, nonviolent offenders, some of them have problems getting jobs. They're being stereotyped because they've been convicted of something that was nonviolent. People that pay taxes 
pay more to account for the people that are not paying taxes. And I don't think that the people are seeing it that way. They want to know why taxes increase, but it has to balance out. And it's not balancing out because we're not allowing them to get jobs. Put questions on the applications, and then you allow them to stereotype. Why do we have to ask them if they uh, have a failure or committed a crime if you are already going to do a background check? And then once you do the background check, you will see that it, it wasn't as severe as you thought or it was a long time ago. So this person could have been rehabilitated, but we're not taking that into consideration. And the only way that we're going to be able to help the taxpayers is to allow them to be able to gain money, make money from them, so that we don't have to keep putting all this pressure on the people that have been paying taxes since they were able to pay taxes. Yeah. As a governor, you would have the power to commit sentences and to pardon individuals. Would you mm-hmm. would you think about uh, a blanket pardon on all nonviolent drug offenses that have occurred in the state and people are incarcerated today? Yes, I would. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's what a limit of uh, nine nine a year that the governor can pardon, or is it is nine in total in the sentence. I I don't remember, but I uh, I do recall seeing that somewhere of the limit that the governor is allowed to pardon. I had no idea there was any limit on, on the pardon power of the governor. That's something I need to look into. But, yes, I, I would, especially if you, if you haven't, uh, you don't have a victim. Why should, you, why should you keep suffering? Let me get your opinion on this, because I think, especially when it comes to drug drug offenses, census data and social science data has shown that the rate of use of marijuana between whites and blacks is about the same. In other words, the same percentage of white people smoke marijuana right. and the same as the same percentage of black people. However, when it comes to people who are charged with marijuana-related offenses, if you're a black person, you're 10 times more likely to, to face that charge than if you're a white person. To me, it's it not only is it just asinine to arrest somebody for, for smoking a joint, it's it's a racial justice issue in my in my mind. What are your feelings on that? In my in my mind too, because if you look at it, uh, they had lessened the charge on meth offenders because they were only locking Caucasians up on meth. So they felt like they didn't want to be continue to just be locking white people up for that drug, but black people wasn't selling or doing meth at the time when they lessened the charges for a, a meth offender. And I thought that was awfully strange because marijuana, scientifically, a fact, is the non-toxic plant that people utilize. I mean, it's safer than cigarettes. It's safer than alcohol. It's safer than the barbiturates and the opiates that the pharmaceuticals put out. And the people are so concerned of all the uh, prescribed medication that are on the street, but we have to we have to thank our pharmaceuticals for that because I don't understand with all the healthy plants that we have for medicine that helps the body, and the only thing you can come up with is hazardous medication. And I say hazardous because it is. You're either addicted, it's tearing the body down, it's eating up organs, or giving you other type of side effects, giving you other type of problems that you didn't even have. 
So now you have to, on top of worry about what you do, the condition that you do have, you have to worry about 15 to 20 other conditions that could come from this medication that's supposed to help the condition that you do have, which doesn't make any sense. It brings no logic to it at all. You are correct in and, that. And, and it's something that we need to do. We need to hold pharmaceuticals accountable for the medicine that they are putting on the street. And it's not just the adults. And it starts with our children because they have uh, uh, narcotics in the medicine that they are feeding our children, children that have ADHD, children that have uh, hyper, uh, attention deficit, and, and all types of stuff for them to be able to focus. That Ritalin and stuff, that really tore up our children. And why would you want our kids to be looking like zombies just so a teacher can teach? But if the teacher are actually getting the message across to the students, if they are zoned out, or is it just a, a medicine to keep them still or to be quiet? Because the teacher still won't be able to tell if that child understands what she is teaching because they zoned out. I don't see how that's helped. How that's helped. I think the yeah. far, I think the pharmaceutical lobby has got a, a lot to answer to myself. But, because but. our creator has actually put plants here that will help the body that won't help that won't hurt the body, and they should be utilizing that. And us being the natural state, you would think that we will only be buying for natural resources. You would think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we don't hold up, we don't live up to the name of this state, the natural state. But yet people are forced to buy food that, that's destroying them. And then we want to come up with the, the idea that it's hereditary. Yeah. It's not a hereditary, but you may think that it's hereditary because that household, all of them are intaking the same food. So that's why you are able to label it as hereditary. But naturality is not. Is the hormones in the food triggers different type of chemical imbalances in the body. And no, I am not a doctor, <laughs> but I get my information. Like I said, I'm very in touch with my spirit. And I have took certain uh, classes, human anatomy classes, because that was the field I did want to go in. But knowing that you're trying to force a person to take vaccines that are unnecessary just to work at a hospital, I would not allow nobody to destroy my body because the body regenerates on its own. But you still have to look up, look for what you're taking in. But you can you can release that because the body is designed to regenerate on its own. And the food that we're taking in is our body is not designed for. And that's why we see so many people that uh, they small and large intestines are inflamed. And people say, "Well, my stomach." Your stomach is on the left side of your body. That's your belly that you're talking about, and that's where your intestine lies. So your intestines are inflamed, not your stomach. And people are, are not educated on that. That's why they say that. But you would think they'll be searching for ways to give us food that is healthy for us. And not, it seems like you're trying to depopulate us any way you can with all this processed food. And, and it don't have to be like that. And being in the natural state, we should be trying to feed our people organic food. We can't help everybody, but we can help the people in this state, and that's by helping the farmers be able to produce organic food and giving their they, they animals, the cows and pigs, organic food. That will help a lot because our food is the cause of our health issues. All right. Sounds like, sounds like you have an idea there. Let me ask you about uh, education in the state. 
I know I know specifically Little Rock has had a problem for years with the way funding is done in in the the school system there in Pulaski County. What are your ideas on the way Arkansas funds its its education system and what would you like to see done different? I think that they have a problem with funding is because the way they have it designed is it's not suitable. Having all these different levels and buildings takes away from giving to the school. We have elementary, we have junior high, and then we have high school. And where I was born at, we only had kindergarten to eighth and ninth to twelfth. That would save a lot of money and schools would be able to be funded a little more. But when we're trying to pinch off a, a little stimulus to advocate for all these schools that they, they are missing out. So if we could design it to where we're having pre-K to 8 and, and straight to high school, 9 to 12, I think it will help a lot. And it, it, it also save us money if we were allowing our ninth and 12th graders to take the basic college courses that can carry on to college will actually alleviate some of the time of getting a degree. And we wonder why some of the people are, are, are not uh, graduating or not so much of graduating high school but not seeking a higher level education. Because first of all, they're probably tired of all the different schools they had, all the, the different atmosphere and, and meeting new people, we can better train our kids if they're in the same spot for a long time versus trying to give them the tools that they need and then they have to move on and adjust to something else. You know, we need to keep it steady, and we're not keeping it steady at all. So many different rules for, for, for their little brain to hold on to. <laughs> they got to think about their brain is still developing, so their dandelion is not there yet. They're still growing. So if we were to do that and have them from pre-K to 8th grade and then go on the 9th to 12th and give them the tools that they need from 9th to 12th to be productive citizens, you know, I, I, I think that we, we have a backwards of things that they should be learning. And we want them to be able to learn foreign language, but we wait later on for them to learn it. Children best learn at a young age. So if we're teaching them their ABCs, and this is what I did because I designed my own school back in 2005. I came up with my idea for my own school from K to 12. And I designed my own lesson plan to where these kids would be taking languages as early on as kindergarten. So when they've been taught their ABCs in English, they're being taught their ABCs in Spanish. And as they go, as they, as they go up in grades, is when I start changing the foreign language that they take in. So my plan was for them to be able to graduate from the 12th grade speaking four or five different languages and not just wait until they get to the 5th and 6th grade and say, hey, now you need to learn this. That's, that's not how you teach a child. So the concept of knowing how to teach a child haven't been thought out. I think that's when we need to when we need to do that, and that needs to change. And we can save the government, the student, and the parents a lot of money by allowing them to take some basic course classes from the 9th to 12th. That means they only spend, depending on what degree, what degree they want, and you know we use longer for a doctor. So anything underneath that, they could be in college for two and a half years and seek their bachelor's degree. How wonderful would that be? 
Yeah. What uh, what what do you do with the with the children in school who who aren't going to be going to college? You know the the future farmers and the machinists and. Uh, yeah, that's why, and and that's why I said when I went to Nashville, and I told them I said we need more vocational trade programs for our students because everybody don't want to go to college. You know, yeah, parents want to see their children excel at that, and some people say college is overrated. They feel like they don't need a college degree to do what they want to do. They have the skill, they have the mentality to do it without that piece of paper, and and most of the time that's true. So if we create more programs for vocational trade, it'll help out a lot because we're missing that in this state. We're missing a lot of things in this state. The school I went to was in Jonesboro, and Jonesboro has a Jonesboro area vocational high school, and I mm-hmm. went and I went to that, and I would like to see that in every school district in the state. Right. Let me get your opinion on on something that kind of, in my view, it touches on education. And that is a ubiquitous high-speed broadband. You know, if you live out in a rural area, the chance of, of getting a good quality broadband internet connection is is pretty low. And right. And in today's you know in today's day and age, uh, having that internet connection can be a stepping stone to all kinds of, of learning opportunities. You can uh, you can get a college degree online, but our state is is really lacking in rural broadband. Is there something that you feel as governor that you could do to perhaps something like a an internet co-op system for to reach out to rural individuals? Kind of the way when electricity came to Arkansas, it was mainly done through electric co-ops. Well, there's something I I would really have to research on, but I do agree on that because traveling through is a problem with your signal with your phones. So I do understand what you're talking about, but that's just something I need to uh, research a little more Okay. to see what I can do for that. But that is a problem. Is there anything that, that you feel like you would like to say to everybody that, that we haven't talked about yet? Yes, I'd like to draw uh, attention to our homeless veterans. I don't understand how they can fight for our country and, and come back and as civilians have no stability, nowhere to stay. And that, that, that hurts my heart that the government will allow that to happen to them, not just them, but other homeless people. But because they have contributed their time and their life, they sacrificed for us, and we're not returning that favor. It's like, hey, you're not in it no more. We don't care. And everybody don't get the uh, the GI Bill. Everybody don't get 100%. And so we, we need to be able to accommodate them so that we don't have to see them on the street or suffering. And it's things that they can't get that they need. That they you know. And I'm, I'm a person that's based on needs, not your want. You can fight and figure out the things that you want. But I'm one of those people that I advocate for the things that you need because that's what's important, your needs. And people need to put their priorities in perspective on that. Another thing is our foster children. Our foster children are being mistreated as if they've done done something wrong. And first of all, they didn't ask to be here. And second of all, what their parents have done is not their fault. It's not their mistake. And we should not allow people to punish them. We have people out here that's taking classes 
to be foster parents just to gain revenue and mistreating these children. And then we wonder why are they dysfunctional? It's because the system has failed them too. And we need to come up with avenues. So what I had suggested, and this could be a way to create jobs as well, is for the abandoned buildings that we have and the state have took over. Let's not reno- let's renovate them and make it to foster homes and give jobs to people that actually love children, that actually want to help children. They, that's jobs for nurses and that's jobs for people who actually are caring citizens to help these foster children so they don't have to be abused by um, their, their foster parent children or their foster parents is that we come up with a foster home. And I'm not saying an orphan because I want them to still be treated as children and somebody to love them and show them the way and show them that it's still somebody that do love them, even though their parent is absent out of their lives. And they show them love and they interact with them and they sit around the table as a family and eat and, and, and address any concerns that they may have, but they make them feel comfortable. And they make them feel like there's nothing wrong. It's okay because you have to become an adult yourself. And we want to make sure that you can do what you need to do for yourself and not be blaming your parents for your mishaps. That's something that we need to do to help the people. And I think running for governor is one of the ways that I can show people how much I care and give them opportunities in the state to do what they need to do to survive and be stable. And that's the main thing. We have to show love for everybody. It don't make a difference what color we are. Like I post on my page is that we all one race with different skin tones, and that's a fact. Yep. There's no one greater than the next, and we need to love one another the same. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I agree with you totally. Uh, let me ask you, yeah, we just talking about foster children. There is a, a group in Arkansas that the state has tried to keep from uh, fostering children and adopting children, and that is same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. What What are your views on on the state trying to uh, trying to keep same-sex couples from fostering and adopting children? I really don't want to touch on that, but I because I don't want anybody to think that I'm judging them. But for the sake of our children, I don't think that's a good atmosphere personally myself you are entering into the political field and this is these are are tough questions the way it stands right now any any couple can have a child and people don't make judgments on that couple you know when they're having a child is is that a a good stable home life that that child's going to be brought into so you know if you're thinking about the children like i said there there are loving same-sex couples that that would would give anything to be able to raise a child. And there are foster children in need of, you know, loving families. So it just seems like a no-brainer to me, and I don't see why the government would would try and and put obstacles in the way, like Arkansas has done in the past and is still trying to do. Well, first of all, if you're allowing them to adopt someone else's child, then that means that that parent can never come back for it. Now, if you just want to be the foster parent and care for it, sure but just taking over all right i don't see how that's right whether it's same sex or opposite sex you know if that child is comfortable that should be a decision that the child wants to be with to of having 
another parent because it's like that you're telling that child to give up on their parents to correct their lives. And it's like the system don't want the child to reunite with their parents. If they want to foster a child, yes. But as far as adopting a child, I don't know because then we're taking the rights of their, of their biological parents that made a mistake. And the system probably made it so hard for them to even try to get back especially if they've been incarcerated. And it could be a non it could be a non valid offender uh, incarceration. But then you say that you need to be able to prove that you can take care of this child. Well, it's obvious that they can't take care of the child if you won't allow them to work. So that's something that we need to uh revisit over and over and over again because somebody is not getting it somewhere. And and and, it, and like I said, the system is so broken to where we can't just fault parents. You got that right. We definitely have some problems, and, and I'm glad to see that there are people like you out there thinking about these things and, and trying to come up with solutions. So I commend you for that, ma'am. There's a question that I ask everybody, and it's kind of a silly question, but I, I think it's rather important. How are you going to know if you're a success? Well, I'm already a successor. Whether the people elect me as governor or not, I'm already a successor. I'm already a role model to some someone else who who sees my passion and knows that I am actually here and trying to help. You know, I'm not looking for a title. A title don't make me uh, successful, but I'm already a successor. So it's just up to the people to choose. Uh, the appropriate candidate to uh, to grow this state, and and from there they will actually see how successful uh, I am. But in, in my theory, I'm already uh, successful. All right. Well, that's a really good answer. That shows a good good positive attitude. How can people get in involved in your the Sanders for Governor campaign? How can they reach you? And more importantly, how can they donate to you? I'm on rally.org. Or Sanders for Governor. I'm on Facebook page for TCA Sanders, gubernatorial candidate. So they can reach me on Facebook and they can reach me as far as donations through rally.org. I also have provided my, my P.O. box if they're not comfortable with putting their credit cards on there to get a money order and mail it in. I'm fine with that. All right. Leticia Sanders, okay. I want to thank you for joining me today and uh, wish you the best of luck in your campaign. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Leticia Standers. Uh, remember, the the primary is May the 22nd, but early voting starts on May the 7th. So make sure you get out to the polls and bring a friend. Every time I hear the people cry, don't you know that the man is going to lie? I try to tell them that they have a choice. Society, all you all people don't.